Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at antiochatx.com. Now here's Pastor J.D. Griffin. We started a series that we called Thunder in the Desert. Thunder in the Desert. Basically, we we got that passage or that that title out of a passage of Scripture, Isaiah 40, uh, speaking of a prophetic statement made about a man named John the Baptist who would come hundreds of years later. It says that a voice of one calling out in the desert can also be translated, there was a sound of thunder in the desert. And so we took some time and dove into this perplexing passage of Scripture in Matthew 4, starting in verse 1, which says this, that Jesus was led. Everybody say led. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And so we started talking about the reality that all dry places are not bad places. That we can be in a desert and there's more than the sound of the temptation that is coming at us when we find ourselves thirsty, dry, hopeless, stuck, and broken. But there is also a sound of thunder, a prophetic declaration of hope that is to come. That in the middle of our dry place that there actually might be a destiny in our desert that God is faithful to lead us in and through the good times and the bad. So the question is not God alone. Why am I in this dry place? The question continues to not just why am I here, God, but what do you want to show me or teach me or do in me while I am here? It's not just why, it's also what, because wrapped up in the middle of a dry place is the fact that God is good to take no matter what has happened to us, in us, through us, or at us, and turn that ashes, dirt, broken, dry place into something beautiful, because not all deserts are bad, because there's destiny wrapped up in our deserts. Amen? You guys ready for this week? You ready to go to work? Anybody ready to go to work? Wes is ready to go to work. He raised the glass to me. All right? That's Wes going back to his club days. Y'all should ask him. Y'all should ask him. Go to Luke 10. Go to Luke 10. Luke 10. We're going to start in verse 25. We're going to read a long passage of Scripture. Can you hang with me through it? Luke 10, starting in verse 25, I believe God wants to show us some really cool stuff this morning. If you're expectant for him to speak to you, say, yeah. Here we go, starting in verse 25. Everybody there? I love that question because nobody is going to say no. (laughs) Okay, I thought that was funny. (laughs) On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor. And in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho 
when he fell into the hand of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to this place, saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wound, poured oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, took him in, and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two silver coins and gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who had fell in the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This morning, I want to talk to us about the reality that we cannot pass by. We cannot pass by. If you're a note taker, that's what I would encourage you to write in huge letters. If you can do that bubble letter stuff that we used to do in junior high, pull it out and write, we cannot pass by. There's a couple of things that I want us to be sure to all understand on the front end of this passage. The first is that Jesus was dealing with an intellectual. This was a thinker, an expert in the law, most likely a teacher himself. He would have committed his life since he was a boy to the study of what is known as the Torah. We know that as the first five books of the Bible. By this point, he for sure not only would have known it in and out, but probably would have been able to recite it to us word for word. He was an expert in the law. His intention is important to note as well. His intention was to test Jesus. It was not to expose Jesus or trap Jesus. He, most scholars would agree, had, did not have the tone of somebody who was out to get Jesus, but was genuinely curious because he had seen something in Jesus that he had not seen before. You see, Jesus was the beginning of what I like to call the collision of truth in action. Jesus was the collision of truth in action. And so this man had seen Jesus, believed the same thing that he believed, understand the same law that he had committed his life to, yet lived different than he lived. So he was trying to figure out, what are you really about, Jesus? Who are you? He wanted to test him past the surface and get at what rooted him and grounded him and drove him to do the very things that he believed. Jesus always would take things and turn them up. This is important to realize because this man, who was the expert in the law, probably had seen, experienced, or heard Jesus turn the law up. What I mean by that is Jesus would say things, he said this in Matthew 5, that if you just look at a woman lustfully, you have already committed adultery. Now, here's the thing. If you're an expert in the law, you would understand that the law says that you should not commit adultery. That is a clear line. You cross that line, you have sin. That's bad, right? Jesus says it matters just as much what's going on in your head as it does in the action in your hand. We are body, mind, soul, and spirit. So that means that we're created to be a one person, a being. So you can't think one thing and then do another thing. 
or actually we're experts at that, aren't we? That's actually the tension, right? The tension is, is that we're dang good at thinking one thing and doing another thing. That is the tension, and that ultimately is the question in this passage of Scripture. How can I know one thing and act another way? How can I believe something and it not move me to do something? I was hanging out with my boys this weekend, right? Actually, last weekend. I was hanging out with them this weekend, too, by the way. But last weekend, we were hanging out, Labor Day weekend, right? We're sitting on the, on the driveway, sipping root beers, as you do. Okay? So we're chilling, having our junior brews, having a great time, talking, enjoying each other's company, you know, talking football, having a great time. Now, you need to understand something about my sons. Kevin is a doer. Tay is a teller. Okay? Now, how many tellers are in the house? Okay, tellers are people that are experts in everything, yet don't do anything. That's a teller. Okay? Now, there's a little bit of a teller in all of us, but my son Tate is a teller to a T. He is a pro at all things, although he does nothing. Okay, he's eight-year-old expert. My son Tate, we're hanging out. Most of the time, it drives me absolutely bananas because he will pull things out of the air that are completely untrue, but he is convinced because he's a teller that it's fact, that it's law. Most of my conversations with Tate, I have to have my phone open to Google to prove to him that he is wrong because he is convinced that because he's a teller, he is right. Now, the rubber really hit the road last weekend when Kevin comes flying out of the garage on roller skates. That, in and of itself, was beautiful. No grace, no control, no nothing, raw power, shooting out of the garage, legs in all kinds of directions. It was absolute poetry in motion. I loved it. Every single minute of it. Now, we were just having fun, laughing, laughing at Kevin. He's being silly. And all of a sudden, Kevin turns around very awkwardly and slow, and he says, Dad, I'm like, what's up? He's like, did you know Tate is my coach on roller skates? Look, let me tell you something about Tate. We can't even get Tate to touch skates. We can't get Tate to ride a bike. Tate doesn't do wheels. Okay? Tate doesn't do wheels. And so I'm like, what? Tate's your coach on roller skates? And he's like, yeah. Now, without batting an eye, without hesitation or flinch, Tate grabs my arm and goes, Dad, those who can't teach. Okay, I was like, no, uh-uh, not this, okay, not roller skate, maybe football, maybe if you're an incredible football coach, maybe you weren't necessarily an incredible football player, okay, those who can't teach, that makes sense, maybe golf, okay, maybe you're an incredible golf instructor, and you're not like the best golfer, okay, that makes sense, those who can't, not roller skate. Not skating down the driveway, right? But that, that honestly, that's the tension. That's the tension, right? We, we are so much more confident and so much more sure of what other people should do, and it doesn't affect what we should do. I mean, that is the tension. And that's the collision that Jesus lived, and that's why this expert in the law was brought to having to raise a question to Jesus that he could answer himself. <laughs> 
Are you not perplexed that he answered the question with such clarity and confidence? Jesus said, why don't you tell me? And he was like, yeah, just love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbors yourself. Jesus is like, nailed it. Now just go do it. And he's like, wait, 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 wait. So who is my neighbor? I mean, this is, this is where it gets tough, right? I mean, don't look at me like you guys don't struggle with this because we all do, right? I mean, this is a human condition. The human condition is to be aware of what to do and not do it. That is what it means to be a human. All right, that's why when you're staying up late at night, there is a million diets to choose from, 18 million exercise programs that you can go through. There's a whole 30, whole 20, ketose, you know, Herbalife, Advocare, you name it, everyone's got a solution, and we all know that if I eat this sleeve of Oreos, it's going to make me go up a pant size, yet we all eat the sleeve of Oreos. Knowing what to do and doing it are two totally different things. They're not the same at all. And this is where the challenge comes into play in how we live our lives and how the word of God and how the truth of God affects how we live because we have been raised up in a system of thinking that if I understand it in my head intellectually, that I understand it. But Jesus is painting a very disruptive picture for us this morning when he allows us to see that what actually might matter is the boat wake of impact on the back end of your life versus what you have done. Think about that. Think about how disruptive this story is to everything. Not just for this expert in the law, but to us. This story is extremely disruptive. You've got a preacher, a pastor, knows exactly what to do, knows the word of God, has given his life to seeing the kingdom of heaven advance, yet sees a man in need and sees him and passes by on the other side. Knowing what to do and actually doing it are two different things. And, and then there's a Levite, right? A, a Levite, important for us to understand historically, these were the dudes, man. These were leaders. These were political leaders. They were of the tribe of Levi. They were seen at as prestigious. These were very important people in Judaism of the day. They would have known the law. They were used in religious ceremonies. These were the guys. And he sees this man in need, yet what he knew did not motivate his hands to do anything. And then you have a Samaritan. A half-breed, they're known. Samaritans lived like a hybrid religion. It was kind of Judaism. It was also some idol worship. It was this weird mixture. It was confusing. And honestly, it was wrong. A Samaritan. Jesus, you're going to use a Samaritan to make your point? Jews don't even associate with Samaritans. We pass by on the other side of the road when we see a Samaritan. Because we don't want to get any Samaritan cooties on us. 
And you're going to tell this expert in the law a story that's going to have the very person that represents what we pass by and think that this is not our responsibility to deal with. You're going to use a Samaritan Jesus to paint this story because you have to understand something. This expert in the law would have been a pro at using the law to not engage with those who are in need. Because the people that were obsessed with the law, the Pharisees, the Sadducees of the day, although, here's important to understand, although their intentions were pure in the beginning, they had become so obsessed about the intellectual understanding of what to do and what not to do, they had missed the heart. So there was all these rules about what they could do and not couldn't, what they couldn't do. And because of that, they obsessed about it. And they were so obsessed about being right and being clean that they would not engage with those who were not right and clean. The whole purpose of the law was that we would be revealed to see that God is good and God is enough, that there's redemption, and then that would bring healing and restoration. So Jesus comes and believes the very same law that they would use to separate themselves from those who are in need, and he lived a life of not using what he was wise in and the law that he understands so clearly to separate but to draw near. So this, honestly, in my opinion, is what motivates this man who is an expert in what to do to go to Jesus and ask him a question that he knew the answer to. Because the real question is not, who is my neighbor The real question is, how am I supposed to live, Jesus? Because you believe the same thing that I believe. You do exactly the opposite of what I do. So what am I supposed to do? Because Jesus would do things that were absolutely crazy. And then he would say things like, I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He would make the point to say that what you're using to separate from the broken, I'm using to fulfill what it's made for. So this would turn the religious of the day and the intellectual thinkers of the day on their head because they're like, how does this make sense? We believe the same thing, yet we live completely different lives. It's a collision of truth in action. So Jesus is telling this story to this expert in the law who would have known the ramifications of interacting with a Samaritan very clearly. And Jesus uses a Samaritan to paint the picture that we can't pass by. That our hearts need to have a truth collision. That it's not how many times we come to church, how many Bible studies we attend throughout the week. If what we are reading and learning does not affect how I'm living, then what does it matter what I'm reading and learning? We're not here to check something off of a box and be like, oh, yeah, I did that. I went to church on Sunday. Now I can just live however I want to live. As long as I stay away from the dirty people on the other side of the road, I can think whatever I want to think, gossip about anybody I want to gossip about, comment about anything on Facebook that I want to, because I checked off my religious boxes, and Jesus is going, you're missing it. It's not about what you intellectually know, it's about the word of God getting in you in such a way that it affects how you live. That you can't escape the fact that it has invaded and affected every aspect of who we are. So it's not just about knowing the word of God, it's about knowing it and that shaping us and driving us into living different. 
into affecting us how we live every single minute of every single day. Now, I've read this passage over and over and over and over again, and that becomes very clear that Jesus wants us to really ask the question, which of the three are we, right? Are we the Samaritan, the Levite, or the priest? And I think that we've all kind of had moments of being one of the three. We've all had priest moments of just passing by and being like, I'm not dealing with that. I know I have. We've all had Levite moments of being like, yeah, I'm a leader in church, but I'm not going to deal with that stuff. I'm just going to pass by. It's easier for me to just pass by. And we've all had moments probably where you have engaged, where you have leaned in, where you have helped somebody, where you have not passed by, when you had demonstrated grace, when you did take somebody in, when you did provide for their need, when you did love on them, and you didn't just ignore your neighbor that was in need, but you took care of them and you loved on them and and you were Jesus to them. And it's amazing. And it's true. And we need to use this passage of Scripture to reveal to us that our hearts need to stay soft to our neighbor. And our neighbor is anyone who's hurting around us. That we as the the body of Christ, as the people of God, have an opportunity and a privilege to love those who are in need. But but can we go a little deeper this morning? Can, Can we take one step deeper into the passage? Because I don't think Jesus was just telling this story to this man to reveal what he needed to do. I don't think the intention of Jesus was for this guy to leave a conversation and say that I need to do more. Jesus was telling the story to reveal something about himself. And the way that only Jesus can, Jesus can tell a story to bring conviction about what needs to change in us and give us revelation about who he is to us. Because I don't know about you, but I definitely know about me that I am not the one of the priests, the Levite, or the Samaritan in this story. I'm the dude in the ditch. We are the guy in the ditch. We've been robbed. We've been beaten up. We've been lied to and about. We've lost everything. Our life is absolute waste and rubbish. And here's the worst part. Everybody around us can't even see us. And they're actually so drowning in their ditch that they're walking right past us, and you can see them walking right past you, but all they can see is their own ditch, and so no one sees anybody, so you don't just feel broken, alone, and isolated. You feel alone by yourself. And Jesus was saying, I am a God that doesn't pass by. We serve a God that doesn't pass by. Jesus was in heaven watching the earth be corrupted and disrupted by sin. And he didn't say, let's just burn it up. He said, I'm going to take the nature of a servant, and I'm going to go in human likeness. And although I'm all the way God, I'm not going to use that to separate me from being just a human. And I'm going to live amongst them because I do not pass by. And this is what we need to understand, that if we're going to be somebody that wants to see the hope of life come out of us, that you've got to remember that the hope of life has come to you. That you have been rescued out of a ditch. Come on, somebody. Come on. Seriously, think about it. You serve a God that doesn't pass by. No matter what. No matter what you've done, 
Jesus is not going to pass you by. Now, I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but I wonder if anybody in this room is thankful that we serve a God that doesn't pass by. That we serve a God that demonstrated to us time and time again, all throughout the Gospels, that those who are in need and those who called out for help, he could not pass by. He, is, he disrupted funerals. He brought sight to the blind. He brought cleansing to the leper. He allowed lame people to walk, blind eyes to see, and he could not pass by. No matter what the brokenness was, no matter what the situation is, our God does not pass by. Jesus can't pass by. He can't. He is moved with compassion. When he sees the hurting that's going on in your world, he's moved with compassion into action. Jesus doesn't pass by on the other side of the road when you're stuck in a ditch. We serve a God who doesn't wait for us to get out of the ditch. We serve a God who meets us in the middle of the ditch. Let me say that again because you're acting like you didn't hear me. We don't serve a God that waits for us to get out of the ditch. But we serve a God that comes and gets us out of the ditch. We, come on. That, we're getting better. We're getting better. We're starting to get it. It's starting to, should we do it one more time? Because I think, look, here's the thing. If you understand this, if you get this, you can't pass by other people. If you get the fact that Jesus didn't pass you by, it's a no-brainer that you're going to not pass by. Because you understand what it feels like to be alone, broken, and isolated. And then when you see your neighbor that is in need, all of a sudden you're moved with compassion out of the revelation of how Jesus was moved in compassion and rescued you. Then the least you can do is say, come on, dude, let's go. You don't have to be stuck here anymore. Let me take you. Let me take care of you. Let me provide for you. Let me help you get back on your feet. Because that's exactly what Jesus did to us. So if you're listening to this going like, oh, man, he's asking us to do stuff and to like help. No, I'm asking you to understand that Jesus doesn't pass you by. Jesus does not pass you by. No matter what's going on, no matter how heavy the backpack is that you're wearing, no matter the junk you were stuck in last night, Jesus does not pass you by. That's not who he is. He's the God that stops and moves. That's who Jesus is. So this expert in the law is asking how we live. Jesus tells a story that answers that question and reveals something about himself. That we are not supposed to try to will our way out of something. We have been rescued so that we can rescue. We have been rescued so that we can rescue. We have an opportunity to be the thunder in people's deserts to be the sound of hope, expectation, and revelation that there's a God that doesn't pass by. And that God is so captivating and so beautiful and so amazing that no matter what is going on in your world, he can handle it. Because he doesn't wait for you to get out of your ditch. That's what religion says. Religion says you got to get it right to get right. Jesus says, just come to me. Just come. 
Just come. Just come to me. That's all it is. Just come to me. And I know that this morning some of you are sitting in this room and you're like, man, I feel like I've been passed by. I'm going through some stuff. I am that guy that's in the ditch. I'm lifeless. I'm broke. I got nothing, no hope. And you're watching people just pass you by every single day, not even see what's going on. You ever been going through a hard time, just desperate for somebody to ask you how you're doing, and they just keep walking by? You feel alone. You feel by yourself. You feel like there's no hope, that nobody sees you. There's no, there's no hope for you. But I just want to tell you, Jesus is not passing you by this morning. He's here for you. He's here for you. He's walking to you in your ditch, and he's going to pick you up, and he's going to give you what you need. And he's going to not just give you a little bit. He's going to say, you can take everything that you need. I'll pay the bill on the back end. Don't you worry about it. You just get better. Because we serve a God of redemption. This is beautiful about the gospel, is that Jesus came. He didn't pass by. And he paid the price for our sin. When he hung on a cross so that we might have relationship with him. We might know him. That we might walk with him. And here's what's amazing. When we see the God who doesn't pass by, not pass us by, when that's in the forefront of your mind, you can't help but love your neighbor as yourself. You can't help it because the love of God has rescued you. And when the love of God rescues you, I'm not talking about you reading about it. I'm not talking about you being able to go to a felt board and put the cross up on the hill. And I'm talking about you've experienced it. I'm talking about you have tasted and seen it, that you were in a ditch and God didn't pass by. When you've tasted and seen it, you can't help but stop and engage and be the collision of truth in action. Be the one that demonstrates mercy so that Jesus can get glory. And when the church realizes that they've been rescued and quits acting like they haven't been, come on, somebody's about to get real. When the church realizes that they've been rescued, when the people of God understand that they were in a ditch and they have been rescued, then our city wants us to stop. Our city's expecting us to pass by the broken on the other side. That's what they expect. But we're going to be like, no, 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 no. We've been rescued. So I'm about to come get you. I don't care where you're coming from. I'm about to come get you. Come on, somebody. you stand with me?